Spiritual Underground Podcast. Spiritual Underground Podcast. Spiritual Underground Podcast Juice. Spiritual, spiritual Underground Spiritual Underground Podcast Juice. Welcome everyone to the Spiritual Underground Podcast. Once again, we're coming to you from the woodshop of DTM Enterprises. Uh, this is part-time woodshop and uh, part-time podcast studio so we will uh, roll with that from here tonight we have another special night we have uh, Travis with us today he's going to share his story the uh, the old what it was like what happened and uh, what it's like now uh, Travis we've known him for uh, about a year or so someplace in that neighborhood and uh, and and he's one of those examples of somebody who uh, came in and did the work and uh, and got the results so uh, welcome aboard, Travis, and we will, uh, let's just start out with your sobriety date, and then you can take off from there. Okay, my sobriety date is October 2nd, 2017, um, so I just got my first 365. Uh, starting from there, you know, I think growing up as a kid, uh, you know, I just want to put this out there, I didn't have what the horror stories or the, the shock value stories that we see sometimes in people's stories. Um, and I'll address some of that later on, but I want to start like in middle school and high school, I had a tough time fitting in, especially in high school. I can, I can really remember tough. I um, didn't really fit in well, didn't really find the people I was supposed to be with or could hang out with until senior year, really. Like, um, I tried fitting in, I did a I did an academic team freshman year, but that was just a couple of days a week, and didn't really hang out with people on the weekends. Um, didn't really do my sophomore and junior. I did JROTC. It was a great group of people, but on the weekends we didn't have anything. I wasn't really hanging out with people. Um, and then senior year, I got in with these guys and and girls that we we played ultimate frisbee. We were also on like a a peer-to-peer writing team, a uh, couple other different things. People I really fit in with could understand and that kind of thing. Like writing, like creative writing? Uh, no. Or writing, like riding bikes and things? Creative writing, but like we helped younger students with their writing. Oh, I get it. Yeah. So, um, like peer-to-peer, like same kind of thing we use in the program. Um, yeah. And then, this is all before my first drink. My first drink was I can remember my first drink because it was a half half of, of a Bud Light Lime in a can. Yummy. It was kind of warm and it was disgusting. It was horrible. And I didn't that was after my senior year on ironically enough a church choir trip. Huh. <laughs> and that was 
the one of the few places I got in and fit in with other kids was the church choir. They had youth choirs at the church I grew up in, uh, middle school choir, high school choir. We did long road trips where we took little plays and went on the road, did stuff like that. And it was on one of those things after my senior year that I went and stayed, we stayed in homes of people, of the churches we visited. And, um, it was just a beer or half a beer, really. And we like, well, somebody else like finished the half of the beer. So it was like, what, you know, whatever, you know. And you drank then, the first half and they drank the second half? Yeah. And it was because it was so awful. I mean, it was almost vomit inducing because it was just nasty skunk Bud Light wine. And it was disgusting. Um, so that was my first drink. The first time I got drunk was I went to college at, um, oh, I won't say where I went to college. You can say it. You I went, can. I went, okay. Well, I went to Western Kentucky University. Uh, changed my life for good and bad. Uh, really put me on a good direction. Um, I was in the honors dorm. It was just all honors kids. So people wow. I could really fit in with because a bunch of smart people. Uh, but just like everybody else at Western, it was party central. That's a party school. Um it's a good school for, uh, you know, what I went there for, and, and but it's also a party school. But I still, that first semester, I didn't have a drink. And didn't, I went to some parties, just didn't feel like drinking. And then... And by then, you probably weren't drinking age either yet. If no, I was still... just in college, so you were 18, 19 years old. I was, oh, I was like, like, I didn't turn 18 until I got to college. Oh, wow. I was young. Um, so... Got to college, didn't do any drinking first semester. Second semester, I still felt like I, I needed like more, a better place to belong, something I really belong at because I'm still searching. I'm search that that's my whole story is searching for that place I belong in. Right. Um, didn't you know? Didn't have it earlier. Didn't have it. I mean, I kind of fit in with the honors kids, but sometimes I felt felt like I I wasn't quite there. Um. So I joined a fraternity. A lot of people don't expect when they meet me. You're an attorney, what? No, and it wasn't a typical what you see on TV or movies or any of that. Was it Animal House? Uh, <laughs> sometimes it was like Animal House, but we were. I will not. I'm not going to drag my fraternity into this. Uh, we were a Christian base, but we were still social fraternity. We we're social fraternity, but Christian base. So Christian values. Um, it's funny, uh, the number 12 is pretty important in my life today, you know, 12 steps, but there were 12 founders of our local chapter. There are 12 traditions. There were? And the, the yeah. fraternities had 12 traditions? 12 traditions. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I can't remember what they all are now because it's yeah. been a while, but yeah, yeah. Were, the number 12 pops up about three or four times there. And um, so I joined the fraternity and... Um, you know the, the first the first party I went to there. You know I had I got drunk. Um, can't really remember how many I had because I got drunk. It was probably only like three or four because I had it's the first time I'd ever been introduced really to that. I know it was cheap beer because um, we were all in college and uh, I didn't have to buy beer that night, so that was nice. Oh, it's free. Yeah, I'll take free. I'm a college student. Um, they had people set up that were designated drivers. That's something we always had. It was fantastic. Um, and so that's where I started and that was probably like a Friday or Saturday night and then you know 
in college, it was always fraternity parties. Um, so I was pledging that first semester, so I probably wasn't drinking during the week, but I was pro I know I was getting drunk most every Friday and Saturday. Um, Did you say that party was your first drunk? Yeah. And you got wasted? Yeah. Did you throw up? I don't think so. Pass out? No. I don't think so. Okay. But, um, like, I didn't, that was the first time I was drunk, so I really, and these were a bunch of people, like, I knew some of them, but not a lot of them. Right. It was kind of a, because I, I was always, um, I don't want to say nerve, probably nervous around people I didn't know, but also, like, um, if anything was strange to me, I was very, I'm trying, I can't, I don't anxious, or you just not, it was very hard for me to be comfortable. Guarded. Very guarded in what I would, how I treated myself and did stuff and just very I'm trying I'm trying to find a word but I can't so um yeah it's weird because you know some people talk about you know first time they got drunk they black out or they do this no I didn't I didn't black out I didn't pass out I don't think I threw up uh I remember being in the I still remember who drove me home that night uh his good friend uh, was at his wedding a couple years ago not one of us. And that's the thing going through college, you know, it was always so that first semester was Friday and Saturday I'd be getting drunk constantly, every week. And that really set up the pattern for how I drank because I hardly ever there were a few times in my in my drinking career that I was an everyday drinker. Like in some, most days I, I might have a beer or two cuz it was in my fridge, but I never had the you know, just wake up, drink, blackout pass out and that whole cycle i never yeah. had that i really never had that except for a couple times um well it certainly isn't a requirement no um so after that first semester and i remember going from like three to four beers to you know i think by the end of that semester i was probably drinking it'd probably take me double that amount to get drunk because it's always a progression yeah right um that was the quickest progression that i ever noticed um most of the time, I didn't notice there was progression. I just knew I needed more and more and more, and it's like, well, I guess that's just normal. I actually I, thought I was getting better at it. As I progressed and could drink more, yeah. I looked at it as like a trophy, <laughs> that, that I could drink more and more and more was actually a yeah. status symbol. Yeah, that's kind of how, how it was because— I didn't realize um, it was my progression or my disease getting sicker and sicker and, and sicker. And I think I recognized that in other people. Like, they would, we'd all kind of drink a little more or more. Most of those guys aren't like us they know when to stop they can stop they don't have to drink till they pass out um there's a few of my questions about but um it's not for me to diagnose them right that's what we always say so after that first semester i went to new mexico worked the summer there didn't have a single drop of alcohol so i didn't you know what'd you do out there i worked for the boy scouts i was a backpacking guy at uh film launch. launch yeah it's uh it very a cool fantastic summer it's a did you tell me you were an Eagle Scout? Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm an Eagle Scout. Congratulations. Um, That's not that doesn't <laughs> prevent you from having this either, does no, it? No, no, nothing prevents you from being an alcoholic. Um, yeah, so I went out there, did that, didn't have a single drop that whole summer. Yeah, that wouldn't be a place that you'd do a lot of drinking. I wouldn't no, think. <laughs> um, if you were of age, you could go to the local tavern, but like you had to be real careful about. How you went, and you had to have a DD, and they were yeah, really strict. Yeah, and, um, 
I know some people that were underage and went other places, and, and you know, the teenagers breaking the rules, right? Yeah, of course. Rules, whatever. Yeah. Um, provided you didn't do it on property, it was like they can't, you know, they can't prove it. We don't care, right? Uh, don't ask, don't tell. Basically, when it came to that. Uh, Can I interject something here? Yeah. I would think, you know, and I don't know that threw at me, you know, that uh, during that time your disease had progressed to a point, right? Mm-hmm. And then you went out there. Mm-hmm. And now you're in this position where you're actually in a service position helping other scouts to do the things and that kind of thing. So, like mm-hmm. when you started, mm-hmm. so what I'm getting at is that once you were placed in a position to like serve these other human beings, mm-hmm. this service thing, at that point in your disease, you were able to put it down for a little bit because you replaced it maybe with the service work that we do as we get sober now. Yeah. And here's something I just realized. We always say it gets worse, never better, and you come yep. back to it. And you're right. I had three, three and a half, four months without it. I can't remember how long, whatever. Um, came back to it, and when I came back to it, um, I was able to drink more than when I had left. Hmm. And I didn't think it was a warning sign because some people, we were up at elevation, so you have more oxygen in your blood. You're really pumping. And you probably did get. And some of that is natural. Some people talk about, you know, when they come back down, they can drink more beers at lower levels than they can up there. I thought it was normal. Um, It was something I heard, so I didn't take it to be a warning sign. Like, why can I drink more now than when I left? And that's the thing. Instead of when I got back down to normal seat, you know, elevation around here, it should have, you know, maybe that first couple of times, and then it would have gone back down, but it did, and it never came back down. So it just kept progressing from there. Hmm. I mean, that would Interesting have been... Interesting piece of time in your history that's... Uh, yeah, and it's something I don't realize until now. Well, I mean, now, because I haven't really thought about all this stuff. I've never put all this Good. stuff together. That's what's so cool about telling your story like yeah, this, is uh, uh, it starts coming back and bubbling back up. So, I mean, kind of skipped to the next, that fall semester, kept drinking. But now, because I'm an active, it's Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So I get an extra day to drink. Sometimes it's Sunday. Sometimes oh, somebody's celebrating a birthday on a Tuesday. I'll have a yeah. few drinks. Um, I have that as a part of my story. I distinctly remember when the week, where I was only a weekend drinker, and then mm-hmm. slowly, it, as it progressed, my weeks collapsed. To where I was drinking to every a point. Day. Once I was at a certain point, I was drinking every day. Yeah, I. But I used to make excuses like, "Well, everybody's going out on Thursday night, and that was a big, you know, heck, I didn't know Thursday night was the weekend, also, you know." And I got yeah. around with some people, and yeah, so Thursday was definitely a weekend because a lot of times we didn't have. If you had Tuesday Thursday class, you didn't have Friday classes. Yeah. Or you know, you had Friday classes, but what didn't always go. Um, <laughs> Especially so if Thursday night was a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's the thing. Um, and you can kind of see my GPA. So first semester, no drinking. I had like a 3.8 or something like that. Honor rolls, president's list, dean's list, all that kind of stuff. Pledging semester, I had a little, I had like a 2.1. So come back, really studying, and mandatory study hours now through the fraternity because I had a low GPA. So... Study hours that semester, still drinking like fish, but I come back up to like a three six. I'm like, no, I don't have a problem, you know, because you you always hear about it's got to, it's bad, it's always bad about when you're not in the program. You hear about how people have a problem. You hear about how it's really bad. 
Yeah. Um, and we can use a lot of excuses to tell ourselves that we're okay. Yeah. You know, I've got, I'm getting good grades. I'm not, I don't have a problem. I'm, mm-hmm. any, I'm holding a job. I'm any multitude of excuses to convince ourselves that we're okay. Mm-hmm. So, um, January, I'm living in the fraternity house at this point. We are in the middle of sorority growth. It is a prime place to be yeah, if you are it. a 19-year-old college student. Because uh, if I st- if I walked out to the front sidewalk, like close to the street, I could look down the road. Of one, two, three. I could see four sorority houses. Oh, I mean, in mine. Yeah, view. buddy. So, hell yeah, right? So, <laughs> uh, that's that house has seen some stuff. I mean, it's it's a miracle it's still standing. It's we can't do anything with it because it's a historic church. It's old as shit. And I'm kind of getting down a tangent, but I remember, I mean, we'd have water fights in our house. I remember we created a slip and slide down the stairs one time, and all these things usually involved women. I can't imagine why, because they couldn't do anything in their house, and we couldn't technically do anything in ours, but we shared a bottom lot with one of the sorority girl, one of the sorority houses, and it was kind of a parking lot. We don't really know who owns it. It's just there, so we kind of use that as the... Eh? Line of, oh, let's go drink down there in the, in the bottom lot. Hmm. So it was a big, go drink down there and then come back up and you're sloshed and you're doing drug and debauchery. So yeah. <laughs> this is why I don't want to name the fraternity. Um, just been in the rules. Long I understand. So I ended up um, in a relationship, started that January, really, uh, with one of the girls next door. Um and, you know, that relationship lasted for a year and a half. So I was like, well, I don't have a problem. Looking back now, there's a couple of key events in that relationship. Um, I just want to say uh, that's the only woman I've ever slept with. Hmm. Um, so that's another thing. Like, I'm not going out and sleeping with a bunch of women. Like, we hear in the rooms all the time. Like, we hear about you know, people going out. Or men and women just sleeping with anything that's moving. And... So, again, I'm like, well, I'm still sticking to this moral code, code that right, I have. Yeah. Um, yeah, that bug. Um, so that lasts for a year and a half, and there's some events in there. But then towards the end of it, looking back now, it's it's my alcoholism and all the problems that come with that because I'm not – she's moved down to Nashville – uh, so we're trying a long-distance thing. Well, I'm still in college, surrounded by sorority women, and um, just women in general. Western has that great reputation, great student body makeup ratio. It's 60% women, 40% men. So I like that. I like it. If I'm going to go back to school, I know where <laughs> I might be headed. Yeah, so it's it's real good, um, unless your girlfriend is you know 60 miles away in a different city. Um and I got drunk a couple times, and I never cheated, but physically. But the the emotional cheating was there. You know, I'd start texting these women and doing all this stuff and hiding it from my girlfriend, and, or I thought I was hiding it from my girlfriend at the time. Um, this was a serious enough relationship because I, at one point, I know I knew her ring finger size. Oh wow! So, um, yeah, there was some. Yeah, you had some eyes on something. I had. There was a. There was an end goal in that relationship. It wasn't just college fun, you know. So, um, 
but you know I pushed her away through the alcoholism um, didn't realize it at the time I just thought we broke up um, looking back now it's me it's on me I know it's on me and that's one of the weird things uh, I have that gratitude that she was able to get away before it really got dark yeah. and bad because it, it, it gets worse with flowers um, and we see you know this, all this destruction we cause I'm so glad that that she wasn't now now probably at the time you were probably a mess oh at the time it was a mess because I technically broke up with her but I think it affected me a lot more than it affected her um, so I keep drinking. did you break up with her to save her or what did you do I don't know I don't know I why don't know. I just know it wasn't working it wasn't working with her being 60 miles away there's some other women involved um, it really a low light of my life as hmm. far as that goes um, like nothing physical but there was texting and talking and doing all this shit that I shouldn't have been doing yeah. since I had a, a girlfriend um, and then drinking just got worse after that so that would have been I'm trying to think doing this math in my head I think that would have been summer 2012 my, I have a line that I always say when I'm sharing that if I knew I was going to have to recall this story, mm -hmm. I'd have kept better notes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because it's like I'm trying to do Because people do get hung up, and they want to mm -hmm. like place it, and they say, well, I think that was 2012, and ultimately and, and, it doesn't really matter what year so, it was. So whenever this was, this whole year and a half we were together, it keeps getting worse and worse, but I'm not that uh, everyday drinker. Um, I do remember at one point I was grabbing a beer before bed because she was – 21 and I was still underage so she was able to buy so that's just bad news for people like us um so I found I had a beer before bed and she's like why can't you just go one night without a beer before bed and I said uh, I probably gave a smart ass response because that's my go-to thing and I don't really remember what happened but I remember distinctly she asked me that question hmm. it's like and you know I know she her father is like us and he is way out of the picture um he's been out of the picture for years but i do know that he's one of us so i don't know if she saw those warning signs in me or just i know she has a weird relationship there so but you know she would get absolutely you know knocked down drunk with me so i didn't you know I'm, Right, yeah, you're doing it with me. You no know, more of those me. excuses right. about so, saying, hey. Um, so, yeah, so I keep drinking. During that breakup, it gets bad. I'm talking like, and this whole time I'm progressing. And, you know, we're good. Uh, and uh, I see progression now. I didn't know at the time. I don't know how much I was drinking before the breakup, but I know how much that summer I was probably drinking close to 20 beers a night so we're going from you know four beers initially to get drunk to 20 to, to luck if i pass out maybe yeah some nights it's more than that um so i'll flash forward to when i graduate in may 2014 i move back home um just one of those people is like, well, I'll just slow down when I get out of school. When I graduate, I'll move back home. I'll become a real adult. 
how many times do we tell ourselves this? Yeah, when another, I do this, those, it's going to slow down. Right. One of those timelines, one of those events that we, we draw mm-hmm. a line in the sand out in front of us and say, when I get there, then mm-hmm. I will take care of this issue. And so from May 2014 to September 2014, it's a good marking point, um, spent a lot of Fridays and Saturdays on friends' couches. Didn't go home much on the weekends because I was drinking. My parents didn't like the fact that I was drinking that much, so I didn't do it around them. Um, there was a few weekends where I would, I had I had a cooler in my room, at the foot of my bed that you couldn't see from the door, and it had a lot of it had alcohol in it at the time. Um, I tried to keep it full, and it wasn't the coldest beer, but it was better than nothing. Um, but I still, don't see it as a problem. I just think, well, it's my parents and they're uppity and whatever, and it's. So, I'd you know sit on my bed and watch movies and get drunk and try and hide it and I think I'm doing a good job and then like the next day my parents would be like we got to talk and it's uh, we went in your room and we found all the empty beer cans which I was trying to hide and you know uh, we didn't have a suspicion until you got up to pee about twenty times in the middle of the night you know and you you kind of smell like alcohol and. That conversation happened about three times because I just couldn't go a weekend without getting hammered drunk. I yeah. just could not do it. Um, not because I wanted to, but because I had that, I couldn't, there was nothing I could do about it. And you know what I'm talking about, that powerlessness, the yeah. absolute powerlessness. to The utter inability to cannot, stop. Cannot do a weekend without drinking. Um, and then September of 2014, tore my Achilles. So I was hobbled, sat in a chair for three months, basically. How'd you do that, running? Uh, playing ultimate frisbee. Frisbee. Yeah. Doing that. Tore that, so... Um, Did you drink while you was playing frisbee? Usually no, because too much... That's a lot of cardio. Okay. That's, that's yeah. just... Okay. I'm not trying to... If I puke up my beer, I'm just wasting beer at that point, usually, right? Um, we usually went out and had a few beers afterwards. Afterwards. And then I would keep drinking at yeah. home. Um, that was my pattern throughout most of my career was especially towards the end there because I didn't I didn't see it as a problem I didn't think I had a problem but I was too afraid to openly drink around people um, I don't know why it's just something I saw I see now it's like why would I I would go have like two or three or four drinks in a bar maybe it was like ten I don't know you know you know how we count uh yeah, I, I made said, a point not to count my beers. <laughs> I did not want to know how many I was drinking. I drank until I was good. Yeah, which means you're if passed I know, out. Yeah, the only reason <laughs> I would know is if I bought a 12-pack and I drank them all. Yeah. And those kind of ways would be the only way that I knew how many I drank. So if I mm-hmm. bought a 30-pack and they all disappeared, <laughs> I knew how many I drank. But right. otherwise, I didn't count. All right, so that's kind of how I counted. That's how I'm, I've counted this whole time. Um so I'm sitting in a chair. I'm not doing anything. I eventually get out of the chair. I go interview. I get a job in St. Louis. So I'm like, well, new city. Geographical cure. Geographical cure. That's going to work. New city. And then it's really going to work because it's a geographical cure all the time because it's not in St. Louis. It's a job where I'm 15 days on the road or 16 or 17, flying around in small company planes, taking pictures of the earth. Really cool job. If I wasn't hungover, flying around in really tiny planes all the time, yeah. because they gave me per diem, which basically means they paid me to drink. Right. 
Um, we got $172 a day for hotel and food. Anything that we did, if we spent 120 of that on hotel and food, the other $52 goes in my pocket, aka goes yeah, in my goes drinking fund. Yeah. So that's making good money. I mean, I that was in January 2015. Bounced around. In July of twenty. If I jump back just for a minute, what was yeah. the, what did you leave college? What was your major? What did you graduate in college? I got a bachelor of science in geography. In geography. Yeah, okay. that was kind of a, that job was a stepping stone into that the field I was looking for. Um, so follow my career path. Still, okay, not great. I knew something wasn't right because um, I had this new job. Geographic girl, I'll stop while it's raining. It's just getting horribly worse because. When I had that traveling job, if I was on the road, I was drinking most nights. Um, the only time I wasn't drinking is when I felt like too much shit from the night before to get out of bed to go get more. Yeah. Uh, completely related to that. If we had to work, you know, it was bad. Um, went to a buddy's wedding in Kentucky um, July 2015. Last weekend in July 2015. Um Train Brothers wedding, just a absolute shit show, because between his family, his now wife's family, and her sorority and our fraternity, we took up about two out of three floors in that hotel that we were all in. So it was a shit show, and the other floor was like people in town for some kind of convention that was a bunch of drinkers. So I mean, it was a big party weekend. Um. And I knew, and that was the point where I drank so much that people were like, "How is he still walking around?" You know, and I, I heard a couple people talking about that. Yeah. And I distinctly remember that. Yeah, well, other people start commenting on how much Travis how much is drinking. This motherfucker then. is drinking twice his body weight in beer and whiskey, and we know he they he know, and like they only had they told us ahead of time if you want anything other than beer at the wedding. You're going to have to bring it yourself. So I took a flask. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for letting me know. Yeah. Uh, thanks for letting me know so I can prepare <laughs> right. ahead yeah. of time. Uh, I was not the only one. I was not the only one. Of course. So, um, wake up feeling like just garbage. Um, slept in till 2. Couldn't get be roused out of bed. Was woken up by housekeeping on Sunday. Everybody else was already long clear of the hotel. Um, got back to I was in Lexington got back to Louisville uh, went and saw a movie with a friend <laughs> probably I'm, I don't I, I mean if I'd been pulled over on the way home I probably would have gone to jail for a driving while intoxicated you know from Lexington to Louisville I'm yeah. sure I was drunk still um, and then so that night I'm at my parents' house. They're on vacation. I'm there. I'm on vacation from work for a few days. I get home. I stop by the liquor store first. I think I got like a fifth tequila and a 12-pack of beer. I woke up the next day. Most of the tequila had gone. Most of the beers were gone. Um, still drunk. I don't know what compelled me to go, um, but I went to the church I grew up in. Um I, I, I mean, I was still drunk. I was just drunk, drunk. And I got to that church. So, 
Um, I don't want to rewind back to this thing I just remembered. In college, I had the reputation of driving when I was drinking. And this is something because I blacked out a lot. I blacked out almost every time I drank. Um, and I would drive every time I would black out. And even sometimes I wasn't, I remember trying to drive. It got bad enough that my fraternity brothers would take my keys, get to a party, I hand them my keys, they hand me my house key back. That's all I get. Because Find your way home. Find your way home, but it ain't through your car. That's that's a that's a clear sign to me now. Yeah. That because I mean, and I was a great blackout driver, because till you kill somebody. Till I kill somebody, and I never I never faced any consequences. I never got a DUI. I never had any of the criminal things. I had one public intoxication down in Texas while I was working on that job that I had. Um, and really, they could have gotten me for a DUI that night, but they hadn't seen me driving. They could only. I had the keys in my pocket, and I wasn't in the car. They can't charge you. Can't charge me. I was just wandering around. Um, so back, you know, so driving drunk, not a problem for me. I mean, it is a problem. I get it. It's not a problem. Yeah. Uh, it became um, the normal for there me. There was no line. It was a rare deal that I was dra- driving where I wasn't drunk. Uh-huh. It really was. <laughs> yeah. And so we, we say those lines we're not going to cross. And I crossed that one. God knows how many times. So I get to church, talk to the minister. He's like, yeah, you sound like you got a problem because you're slurring your words and you drove over here. So I know you got a problem with that at least. Because um, I didn't know anywhere else to go. I knew I had a problem. Yep. I had no idea what compelled me to go to that church, not some random church or but certain sense of security and familiar. No. Um, and it is something kind of, uh, oh, I, I find it odd because I was in a similar kind of shoes again where mm-hmm. I was knew I had a problem and didn't know where to turn. Yeah. And I called my doctor. And <laughs> I, know, I, knew about, I knew about, the, I knew that AA existed. I've been to AA. Uh, I knew <laughs> that AA existed. I didn't know anybody in the program. I didn't know that I knew anybody in the right, program. Yeah. There's a few people I run yeah. into at meetings now. It's like, oh, hey. Yeah, you know? yeah. um, so I, I go there. I end up, I, I worked at that church as a senior in high school. That was my first job. I uh, ended up talking with the two guys that had been my bosses. Um, they're like, how did you get here? I was like, I drove. They're like, are you planning to drive home? I was like, yeah. They're like, no, you're not. One of us will drive your car. And the other one will drive you, and we will take you home, and you're going to sleep this off, and then call one of us when you wake up. Neither of them who are in the program, but they are fantastic people. They're one, you know, people that, yeah, the people that I could, you know, still to this day probably call. Um, so that was July 2015. That stint in AA, because I, that night I called them. They called somebody else. He came, picked me up. We went to a meeting down at the Ice House. That was my very first AA meeting. That is a rough crowd if that's your very first AA meeting for a kid from East End. Um, but I didn't give up that night. Uh, I lasted a week. But I went. I, everybody told me, "Do your job doesn't matter. Get sober first. But I didn't listen because I'm stubborn and hard-headed and all that. So that was July 2015. Go back out till for another six months. My parents knew I was in AA because I told them. I told them about four hours before I went and got another drink. 
because you know we had we had a pr we have a pretty good relationship. But um, I'm like, well, you've been pretty quiet this week. And he's like, yeah, I've been going. You know, I've been going to AA. I'm kind of dealing with some stuff. Like, didn't really say much. I think they were a little shocked, but a little relieved at the same time. Because um, again, they were trying to push me that way. But you like, alcoholics will not be pushed to anything they do not want to do. Exactly. Um, you know, there's a couple people I work with that I wish I could just be like, come with me and we can do this together. And it's not going to work. The inability to see that you have a problem mm -hmm. is, 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 uh, that, that, well, you've, you know, you've talked about a bunch of those. You know, mm -hmm. when I get to that point, I'll stop. When this happens, no, I'll go here. When I do this, then I'll be, you know, we just yeah. go, we it, continually it, to try to manage it. That's the, yep. that's the epitome of the unmanageability and we don't yeah. even know it's unmanageable. Yeah, so I did another six months of that. Eventually, I get, again, I wake up drunk, and then I call my dad. I'm like, please come get me. I cannot do this because I'm still trying to live. Uh, that was um, Still trying to manage it. Yeah, so that was July of 20. Ooh, that was wrong. I started another six months. Another year and a half of doing that unmanageability. A year and a half. So I was six months. I got my times confused. Years confused. Year and a half of that. Year and a half of trying to hide drinking from my parents. Um, insane. Just insane. It's a lot of work. The amount of yeah, the a lot the amount of stress I put on myself trying to hide it. Because I'd come home for Thanksgiving or Christmas or whatever, and then I'd go out with my friends and be like, "Oh, I'm just too tired to come home." And I don't know if they believe me or not. I don't want to know. I don't. Never yeah. going to tell them what happened because I don't need to cause them that kind of shit. And they very well may have known, and they might have assumed that you were, like, staying someplace so that you weren't driving home, and they might have been relieved that Travis wasn't coming home because we know he's drunk, and at least he's staying yeah. where he's at. So, that was another year and a half. That's kind of what I'm thinking. Um, so, I called him, please come get me. Um, they did. I, I was in January of 2017. I lasted through... In the beginning of April, I went to therapy one day a week for an hour at a time trying to solve my alcoholism, which didn't do shit. You sought that therapy on your own? Um, kind of got advice from somebody who wasn't in the program, but a psychologist type. Um, that said maybe you should go get some therapy? Yeah. Yeah, I think maybe if I got therapy on addition to AA, it might have worked, but it, on its own, it's not going to solve it. Um, so, in beginning of April 2017, um, I had surgery to repair my messed up shoulder. I messed it up drinking somehow. I'm not exactly sure. It popped in and out of place on its own to throw a football, and out goes my shoulder. So, hmm. real bad. Um, I got on pain pills for that. Um, My parents let me have full control of those. Of course. Of course. Because, um, you know. They don't know any better. They don't know any better. Um, I don't ever take so many that I'm not there. But uh, there was a couple times where I took, you know, I, I can't remember what the first It was as needed until you don't need them. But I didn't get rid of them when I was done with, you know, having pain with this. And I think... Um, some things happened at home, like, I know, uh, my dog that I had for 17 years, 
a long time, old ass dog, shit ton of health problems. She had like a stroke or a seizure one day while I'm at work. I'm living at home trying to fix my fucked up life at that point. Um, they had to put her down. Well, they were planning on going to the Reds game that night up in Cincinnati. Here's the thing. They still go to the game. So I'm expecting to walk into a house and be greeted by a dog. Or at least she knows I'm there. She doesn't always get up because she's old and tired. Um, walk into a very silent house uh, with a text message from her parents that just says, call us when you get home. Yep. So I called them. They're like, yep, we had to put her down this morning. So they didn't tell me. They just let me walk into that scenario. Wow. As an alcoholic with no ability to cope with anything, that just, boom. I mean, I did not drink that night because I was so angry. I was so angry I was afraid to move out of the house. If that, I don't know if you've ever had that kind of just pure rage. Like if you go, if you think if you leave the house, you might go and just, and if so, you talk to somebody and they talk to you in the wrong way, you, I feel like I was going to just get in a bad situation. I was terrified of how angry I was because I mean, that's just unbridled rage. You know, I didn't have any alcohol to cope with it. Um, I mean, there were some in the house. I could have gone to the cabinet, and gotten some, but I just, I don't know, didn't. I just didn't that night. But then I went back to call my buddy up. I'm like, hey, call my buddy in St. Louis. Go back out to St. Louis, had three beers that weekend. And then, oh, look, I've learned to drink like a normal person because I had one beer Friday night and two beers on Saturday, and everything's good. Um, never mind the fact that it's been four weeks since I've had my surgery and I'm still taking my pain pills at night. Um, I don't really think of myself as a pill head because those are the only pain pills I've ever used like that. Um, but that doesn't mean I'm foolish enough to think that if I get on them now that I'm not going to need a program to get through them. Because there is a phrase that says yeah. alcohol in any form. Mm-hmm. And Mind it comes in lots of forms. Yeah. Alcohol comes in lots of forms for an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. It can come in the form of women. It can come in the form of gambling, mm-hmm. food, pills. Yeah, so um, went to St. Louis, came back, everything's fine. I've learned to drink normal. Next weekend, go out with my buddies. I have, I bought a 12-pack, but I've learned to drink normal, so I'm not going to need them all. Uh, I watched the sun come up because I didn't have enough beers to pass out. And we went to the bar. So, I mean, I probably had six before we left the bar. Went to the bar, God knows how many at the bar, and then finished the six of them when I got back. Not enough to pass out, so I'm back. I mean, there is zero let up. In three months of dry time, nothing. And then doing that weekend, drinking, feeling like death Monday through Wednesday, Wednesday, I start feeling better. So then Thursday and Friday, I'm planning. That's how I know I'm an alcoholic and I belong here. Because the mental obsession that I have as a weekend binger is insane. It is absolutely insane. Drink myself to wherever Friday and Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, feel like I'm going to die because I'm probably detoxing, not having a hangover. Um who has a three-day hangover? Nobody. Nobody, unless you got a real problem. I felt like I had a lifetime hangover after yeah. a while. Yeah. Life was just a hangover. 
Yeah. And just then, fighting it till it got a buzz well enough that it so, didn't realize it and then starting over again. But I'm still progressing through my career. Like, I've, except for 2016. 2016 was the bad, worst year. It really was. Um, I had nine jobs in 2016. Was bound, but I always was employed. I was never unemployed. I always had something. Uh, never mind the fact that I went from $10,000 in my checking account to I've maxed out two credit cards and all this other shit. Um, so I do that. So from like April through like the end of September, I'm doing that. And then parents go on vacation in early October, leave me the house to myself. So I don't even have to go to my friend's house. And then, so I just sit in the big recliner and drink all weekend. And then don't make it to work on Monday or Tuesday. And then Wednesday don't make to work. Thursday go in for work. See you. You're out of here. Um, so this job, so what I'm currently at, a year later, which is a miracle. But because I happened to share an office with at the time, somebody who is one of us, has been through the program, doesn't currently go to meetings, and it's not for me to say if he should or not, um, but has like 15 years of dry to, of, of sober sobriety at this point. So back at that time, you had a job with this guy. Yeah, and he had told me that he was a recovering alcoholic and addict. Right, so and you're sharing an office with this guy. Sharing an office. And you're still unable to quit. I'm still unable to quit, and then I get fired, but he's like, go here. He points me to Token 3. He's like. After you got fired, he after I got reached fired. out to and you. And he you... also reached out to me and said that he talked with the general manager. He's like, if you go to uh, intensive outpatient program, I can't guarantee anything, but it's going to look really good for towards the boss man if you go to this. And if not, it's probably going to help you deal with whatever's you've got he going on. He advised you to get some treatment. Yeah. So I can't thank him enough because, um, you know. I understand. Here you go. Pointed you in the right direction. It's up to you to take it. So that was uh, my sobriety day is October 2nd, 2017. That was that Monday of that week. I got fired on Thursday. Um, and so don't go to any AA meetings, but I did go to Token 3 Club. Picked up a pamphlet, see all these meetings. That pamphlet in Louisville. Well, like 500 meetings a week. Yeah, it's right. a little overwhelming. It's a bit un, that's unmanageable, too. It's overwhelming to look at all this shit, and you're like, do I want to go to discussion? Do I want to go to speaker? Do I want to go to men's only? Do I want to do this? Do I, and it's just, it's too much. Yeah. Um, that's why the importance of having, like, getting in, like, involved with somebody. Have somebody pick you up and carry you. Yeah. Here, so, you go here to this meeting. Go so to this meeting. I called, get into IOP. Uh, first IOP was on... The Wednesday, so like I'm ten days dry at this time before I go to IOP. Then the next night I go to um, a newcomer meeting because that's the one that the IOP people pointed me to, and that's where I meet my first sponsor, um, Robbie C. He's originally from the Lexington area. Uh, we've got little to nothing in common, and he likes to tell the story about how. You know, it's like the wide-eyed deer in the headlights look because he was chairing that night on a Thursday night. Now, that newcomer meeting meets Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday at Token 3. Um, he normally goes Wednesday and Friday. Doesn't Token, do, just for the listeners out there, yeah. Token 3 is a is a clubhouse, a, a AA clubhouse here in town. Yeah. Um, 
towards where I work at the East End of town. And so he, he normally goes Wednesday and Friday. But he was there on Thursday because the Thursday chairman called him and asked him to chair. So not normally there, but he's there that night. Right. And then he makes the announcement, anybody needs a sponsor, come see the chair first chance meeting. We have a list of temporary sponsors. And I'm so wide. I, like, I don't know. But he's looking for his first sponsee at the time. Hmm. And so walk up there. I was like, I need a sponsor. He's like, and he asked me, like, what? I don't know. I, I'm yeah, so right. lost. To, to say that you could recall any of that would be a miracle. Um, he can. He can remember the whole I mean, thing, and it makes me, it's just like, man, what a, you know. Because it, it brings just the confusion to light. And so um, he becomes my first sponsor. Um, I, I, there's some other coincidences. That are, you know, coincidences, something yeah. I don't really believe in now. Because he's not there normally there on Thursday nights. Right. But he was there that night. Right. So that's something working for me. Um, my dad career almost spent his entire career at IBM. His dad career IBM. Well, one Lexington never met, but that's something else we got in common. There's a few other things that I'm struggling to remember right now, but it's just, you know, it's it's the little things that you think are coincidences, but I don't I don't like that word anymore because um, I think it's some little behind-the-scenes magic that kind of pushes Might I recommend that when those things, things come to your mind next down. time, write them down. It'll help yeah. you remember them. Um, so I start working with him, and I'm still going to IOP. And in that about – I think I had about three weeks off from work, uh, but they brought me back, gave me a second chance, Um they really didn't have to do that. Their nope. lawyers advised them not to do that really? because I was new to sobriety and hmm. that sort of stuff. I'm sure it's, you know. Well, that's another lesson. I mean, most people get at least a chance. If they would actually ask for help, yep. most employers will work with you at least once. Yep. That's the thing. you got to but show that you're willing to work for it. Yeah. So at that point, I don't know what's – really going on. So I'm brand new to IOP, brand new to AA. I mean, I had that week before, but it's kind of like, who really knows? Um, I don't... I tried doing work with my sponsor and doing the steps the AA way and doing the IOP way, but that was too much. It was just... That's in like three ways. You tried to do it with your sponsor? He Well, he does it the AA way. So you tried to work the steps with your sponsor while concurrently doing, doing the what the IOP wants you to do. And doesn't really – I mean, they're the same, but they're not. They both preach recovery. Um, IOP, that one uses recovery dynamics, which I think is a good first kind of step in the door of recovery. Um but it's not it's not true recovery, and that's yeah. it is, but it isn't. It's just there's it's different paths to recovery, but uh, it's kind of. Um, but it's it's so my sponsor agreed that because I have to keep going to IOP and show that I'm going to IOP to keep my job. She's like, well, because you need that to keep your job, we'll just have you do the IOP way, and then later on down the line we'll reassess and re go over it and. Um, I'm glad that was able to happen because I don't know if I could have kept doing 
two different ways. I don't think you can do that. That sounds like a recipe for disaster right now. Especially off. brand new, fresh. It's hard enough to follow way. one way. Yeah. So <laughs> We fight that. Um, so I was doing IOP at... Did I say any other place? Did I name other places? I don't see any reason why not. Okay, I was doing IOP at the Brook over at KMI, the one over in Olive Range Road. My sponsor happened, just so happens to work at the Healing Place downtown. So he's a little familiar with recovery dynamics and how it works. So he's pretty clear on how it works and where I'm at and all this stuff. So um, it was a good max or good good match. Um, good mix. I don't know what you want to call it. But it, you know, so it, it works to get me in the door and go into meetings. To begin to get some relief. And to begin to get some and relief. Stay, because be able to stay off even the that, sauce. That first meeting when I had no idea what was going on and really just lost and confused and really for probably like the first two weeks I was doing meetings. It was the first time in my life I remember I was I had a resentment at first for people laughing because I was so god awful miserable that I didn't know I didn't want other people laughing. But then I realized that they're laughing at stuff that only we can find funny. Right. Because you drop some normal people in a room. Like sometimes, you know, some porters come in and somebody's telling a crazy story or talking about what they did and how insane it was. And we, everybody, all the alcoholics start laughing. And then yeah, we're all sensitive like, and raw. What and, the hell? And, you know. Yeah, and you say something and people laugh and you're like, what the hell? You know, and you think they're laughing at you instead of with you. Yeah, because they've all done something at the same point, or a different point in their lives, but it's been the same yeah. idiotic insanity. And there was a guy here last week telling that story too. You know, yeah, <laughs> you're not, you don't, you didn't come in here with some unique story we ain't heard before. Mm-mm. No, it's it's one of those things. We're all we're all different, but we're all the same. Yeah. So I'm doing IOP, um, still living at home, trying to get my life together. I mean, really, actually trying to get my life together at this point. Um, do a fourth and fifth step that were very small, very light version. With the sponsor? With the sponsor. Um, did it? Did the fourth step through... So now you're out of the IOP and now you're back I to working with your sponsor. I did the fourth step through IOP, Recovery Dynamics, that little worksheet stuff they have going on. But I can't... I wasn't taught to go all the way back. I was just about stuff in recovery and resentments. And I didn't have, I probably had like 12 resentments on that list. And get there, and my sponsor takes my little notebook. It's got all my stuff written down on it. He's like, oh, I see you got, you know, so-and-so on here. Can you tell me about that? So-and-so and so. I'm not reading off the paper. And so it's really flowing from the heart. On a fist step. On a fist step. Um so he's reading your fourth step, basically. He's just he's just reading the list. While he's you just do reading your... the list, and I'm talking about. Uh, it, so that's I'm what I'm saying. Re- he's reading your fourth step, and, and you are commentating on it. Mm-hmm. And that was your fifth step. Yeah. Okay. And, but he just said, like, I don't want you to think about what you wrote down. I want you to just talk about it. So it's commentating about on it. it. Just. And I don't know if comment. I'm commentating like a little short. I mean, this this was a couple hours. Of, you know, twelve. You know, just a little short list. But I talked a lot about it. And it's stuff I needed to talk about because you know, family. Yeah. Commentating to to and put a timeline to my mind. But yeah. Okay. I get you. Okay. Um, 
So talking about that, did six and seven right after. Um, and I, I get some relief. Don't get sure. me wrong, I really do. Um, steps work no matter how you work them. Yeah, even if it's a, a a light version of the steps, you get you get light relief. But damn it, if relief, even in the smallest form, is incredibly powerful at that point. Yep. Um, so I kind of I keep going to ILP once a week for aftercare, but I'm not a real big fan of the guy who runs the ILP and then sponsors like every time you come out of ILP you're really angry and pissed off more so than when you went in maybe you could step back for a week and not go and see and go to a meeting and see if you like it better which I'm glad he suggested that because I stopped going to ILP and I removed another stress factor out of my life because there's somebody that's he's worked a long time in the recovery field but he's not an alcoholic or an addict or um, and I'm not saying that People like that can't you know how, but I don't think he's ever come from our viewpoint, so it's hard to really relate to people. And like the us. fact of the matter is, at least you weren't. So whether mm-hmm. what people do with this dude is mm-hmm. one thing, but what Travis did, it wasn't working. Right, and so because a couple other people, because I want to put the guy in a bucket yeah, yeah, that yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not and working for anybody. It no, just wasn't working for you. And so a couple of the other people at the brook, like I think he went on a hunting trip, and we had guest people. Uh, one of the ladies that came in, she had used the 12 steps to get over an eating disorder. Another one had used the 12 steps to get over anger management issues. And it's like, okay, I really relate to these people because I don't know if it's because they've worked the 12 steps or they have that same spiritual sickness that's going on. But I'm like, if I cut out this IOP and go to a meeting instead, maybe I can kind of get a little bit more. Um, and I'm bouncing around. I'm trying all kinds of different meetings. So think it probably took me about a month to come into that Tuesday night meeting that we all kind of gather around the yep. end group um, and the only reason the meeting that the meeting that this podcast is named after yeah and the only reason I go is because I'm hanging out I made Thursday night at eight o'clock my home group over token three it's a roundtable discussion it's the only one I've really run into that's a roundtable discussion really but every time I went there the first few weeks, it, it really hit on something I was really needing here. Um, and so another home group member, two home group members were there. Two from the Tuesday night group were there on that Thursday night meeting. Um, I was actually talking with one of them, my current sponsor, Shane. His brother was in IOP at the time, uh, and I didn't know him, so we connected on that after the meeting, so they told me about the Tuesday night meeting. Um, show up in a little bit different a little bit different kind of recovery where you can cuss and talk about whatever you want and I I hear the the sometimes at certain meetings you hear the same people talk about the same things that they've been talking about for God knows how long and it's the same recycle and it it's recovery but it it's so it's rehearsed bullshit that you don't get that genuine true emotional stuff that you do at some of the other meetings and that's what keeps me going because if I don't hear any emotion then it's like well you can't because I know the program is supposed to let me deal with my emotions it doesn't say it's going to get rid of them all because stuff's still going to crop up and things like that but um, so I'm bouncing around I'm trying all these different meetings and I came in I wouldn't say I was an atheist I'd say I was more agnostic 
because um, you know I grew up in the church, but it didn't, and I went there to initially seek recovery, but um, it never it never did. Like I got baptized, but I didn't feel anything behind it. You know, um, took communion, but it's just it's what everybody else did. So that's what I did, just to fit in. But I didn't fit in because I didn't feel anything behind it. So I came in. I um, there's some meetings in town that focus on the agnostic and atheist side of things, and those are incredibly helpful uh, to somebody like me coming in. Started going to one of those on a Friday. So after every work week, I come in. I'll go to that meeting. I really with people in the program that I really feel comfortable with. Um, takes me about six months to do the full 12 the first time. Um, with your original sponsor? With my original sponsor. Uh, he's picked up a couple more sponsees. And just for the record, too, there on that, the book says, uh, at one point it says, if, a, if an employer will allow a guy to go out and do the steps, he can become, uh, he mm -hmm. will be a new man in six months. Mm -hmm. So I would say yeah. that six months is about right on track. Yeah, and I know some people take longer and some people they go did. shorter, yeah. and it's all about what you specifically need at the time. Because Sort of. Sort of. As long <laughs> as you're not getting through them just to get through them, which I, I think there's been a I've seen a couple cases of that, and you know, if you lollygag too much, I think I think there's a pace that works better than others, mm -hmm. and it's about that kind of time frame. I think yeah. if you make it last a lot longer, then you don't really get as much out of it, and if you do them really fast, you don't get as much, much out, out of them. Yeah, I've it. seen both sides. I think that's a but great think, window. Four to six months. Four to six months is what I was going to say, because you can rush through things, but then you're not. How much are you really understanding? doesn't then, have the depth and weight that it needs to have staying and power. And then I think on the other side of that six months is, I think you're overthinking shit. So maybe just kind of leave shit alone, yep. which I'm kind of doing right now, but it's not. Um, so I was in a, towards April when I finished up the 12 steps. And then um, that was seeing changes in my life. I should say in mid-December I moved out of my parents house because something I really something I know now and not something that I knew while I was drinking or while I was growing up if you had asked me a year ago so I had like three weeks of sobriety time what do you think about living with your parents oh it's fine it's great they understand me whatever um, but it's not it's not like that um, now I realize um, through working the 12 steps, you get a lot of clarity. And clarity doesn't always mean everything clears up and looks better. Nope. Sometimes you're kind of taken away, you're blindfolded, and you're like, you're starting to really look at some things, and it's, it's not great, and sometimes it's nothing you can control. And one of those things is, well, I thought I grew up in an okay household, and there's no physical abuse or anything like that. The emotional... Um, Abuse, but just the, the emotion, the ability to deal with emotions was just not healthy. Um, I don't remember hearing about any siblings. Are you only? No, I have an older brother. He's six years older than me. So, but that's a considerable amount older. Yeah, brother. it is. And he's also, I consider myself to be a pretty intelligent person. He makes me look pretty, pretty dull. <laughs> uh, he's highly, highly intelligent, but. Also, you know, when you're, I think when you're that smart, a lot of times it comes with stuff. He's, um, 
recently been clinically diagnosed with some, um, I think, depression and some anxiety and some stuff like that. And it kind of makes sense, you know. Yeah. Just looking back at it now. And, um, I don't mean to tangent off onto him. I just was no, like, no, from it's, a standpoint it's fine. I think because it, I was going to get to him because, um, he doesn't like dealing with emotions, any of them, none of them. He's a very analytical person, um, and that's where we differ. Like, I, I feel emotions, and, like, I, some of them are very strong at certain points, and I can't just bury my emotions like he can. But that's kind of what my parents got used to was somebody that just didn't have very many emotions. So when I showed emotions, it was not – like, sometimes it will – I thought, you know – I thought the only healthy way to deal with emotions was to suppress everything. And there, you know, alcohol is a very good way to do that, to suppress everything. And that's one of the things I was talking about with that therapist I had for three months. He's like, why do you, why do you think you initially started drinking? Like, so I didn't have the feelings then. And he wanted me to expand on that. And that's where, you know, we never got past it. Like, I didn't want to feel anything. You didn't know how to look at that. Yeah. Um, 12 Steps helps you look at that. Looks at looks at things and, and it's not like I said it's not always good but it's just a, a truth to the program, and so fact um, finding and fact facing. Yeah, and then I also realized that my mom doesn't mean to do it, but she is an emotional martyr. Um, she will die upon any cause, you know, whether it's something big or small, um, and you know it's just it's it, emotional guilt tripping and it. It can really uh, mess with you or, or just screw with your emotions and just it, it, it hurt, especially if it was there the whole time I was growing up. So it's been affecting me my entire life. And it's not something I realized until I was 26. I mean, that's 26 years of dealing with emotions in a very uh, messed up way. So um, I moved out of my parents' house into my own apartment at two months of sober sobriety. And I had to. It was the only thing. It was either I didn't have to necessarily move out apartment of my own I could have moved into one of the Oxford houses or some of the other stuff that's around in the city but I could not stay at home it was very clear to me it was clear to my sponsor it was clear to the guy at the book um, it was just not a, a good healthy situation for me to be in for my sobriety because those emotional guilt trips that's what made me want to drink a lot you know that was well, you'll hear lots of people, and I would bet I'm going to make a guess that mm -hmm. your sponsor and these people were probably hearing this this uh, this reoccurring issue that you had, mm -hmm. and it all was surrounded by being my parents and at home, and mm -hmm. we and you know we just think we're talking and venting and stuff, and it's like, well, mm -hmm. man, if this is getting to be that big of a deal, man, maybe we yeah. need to make a change and it, move you out of there. It was also, you know, there was some like there's later meetings in the city, especially like on the weekends where, because I I have spent the last eight years of my life drinking till I pass out on Friday and Saturdays. Yep. So even now, a year later, there's some weekends where I physically cannot go to bed on a Friday or Saturday night. Last night was one of them. I was up till 4.30. And it's not because I wasn't tired. It's just my brain has been wired and patterned for eight years to stay up as long as possible on a Friday or Saturday. And not I'm not having substances now. Well, I don't have alcohol or drugs. I might have some popcorn or something like that, but um, nothing that keeps me going. Because al alcohol at a certain point didn't make me tired. It gave me energy, which is a weird thing. 
sometimes be dragging ass and I get to the bar and I have a beer and I perk right up. Yep. That ain't normal. Abnormal <laughs> reaction. Um, pain so. pills were speed for me. Hmm? Pain pills were speed for me. My dad takes his pain pill and he's on the couch for eight hours. Mm-hmm. I take one, I'm cleaning house and raking the leaves. Yeah. I took a, I took a ADHD pill in college to study for a test. I did everything but study for that test because everything, I mean, I lived with, I'm messy. My roommate was messy. We, I mean, we lived in a pigsty. That dorm room. It's prescription meth. That dorm room has never been cleaner before or after, or probably before or after we moved yeah. in and out. Like, that's the cleanest it's ever going to be, was the night that I took an Adderall trying to study yeah, for a test. Yeah, right. So. All right, so let's get back to your parents and this moving out. Yeah. Uh, so, moving out, um, moving to my apartment. The apartment was actually a really good thing, because now I have... If I want to go to a meeting at 10.30 on a Friday night and then come home, if like if I come home, you know, and say, I want, you know, there's always the meeting after the meeting. No matter what meeting you go to, somebody's talking afterwards, um, which really helps with recovery anyway. Uh, I think yes, it's it one does. of those things. If you get there late and you leave early and then you wonder why you can't stay away from whatever your compulsion is, I think part of your problem is you don't stay for, you don't get there, you fellowship. You got a fellowship. And that's one of those things it's like, you just get here, you get your papers on, you leave. You, you have to shit. build this community around you. You yeah, have to you have join to. the community. You can't mm-hmm. just show up at meetings. You have to engage in the mm-hmm. community aspect of these recovery systems. Yeah, that's meeting makers make it. That's one of those things. Like, well, sort of. If you, yeah, you got to do more than just make meetings. Yeah. You got to be a part. That's of a it. good thing to do. Yeah. I, I suggest you make meetings. It's a but good that start. is not all. Yeah, and so. If, like, I spent time talking after the meetings, it, you know, maybe I'm not, I, sit, I get out of 11, 11.30, I'm talking until 11.45, getting home at midnight. Well, what, where'd you stop? I, they never questioned me, but my mom would go to bed at, like, 9 or 10 o'clock every day of the week, except for the nights that I would go out to the late meetings. Yeah. Well, how old were you? 26, 27? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, Yeah. And I'm fresh as sobriety. I understand that. I'm, I'm, I put that Well, it's time for you to get out of there, too, you know? I mean... Yeah, and I lived on my own for a couple of years, really. Um, and, you know, it's just crazy. I don't understand how people do it. But, so, I don't like being... Having somebody waiting for me to get home. Right. Um, never been talked about, but I, I just... I know why, and I, I can understand their concern, but there was no... <laughs> I'm looking for my flash water. We have a couple wasps. Or I think there are actually mud daubers flying around in here, and uh, and and I'm being terribly distracted by them. But I don't have a flash water or anything, so I'm gonna try not to pay attention to them. <laughs> we said we was gonna have podcasts that were real life, so there's some yeah. of that, along with the acorns hitting the roof. Yeah. Um. So moving out's good because I don't have anybody waiting waiting up for me. I discover that I can actually go and eat with these people at. Um, Really, the only place open at midnight on Friday or Saturday is usually Denny's or Hooters, but they're both right next to Token Creek Club, so that's real good. So I'm going out to eat, and then we stand out in the parking lot, even if it's freezing cold, after we've eaten for another 20 minutes. Right. The meeting after the meeting, and that's when my recovery really starts to right. go. Right, yeah. So the first two months were a real struggle. I mean, sometimes I struggle now, but fellowshipping after meetings and not having somebody waiting up for me and my own apartment, there's has never 
been any alcohol in it. And I've been there for 10 months. There's never been a single thing of alcohol right. in that apartment. Yeah, so you don't have like a trigger effect of... I, you know, and my parents never kept any hard liquor cold or anything, but there, there's nothing like I just want, you know, maybe a cup of juice at 10 o'clock at night, and there's a beer in the fridge. I never took one, but it was there. It was just in my head. So moving out's real good for me. Uh, it may not be for everybody, but it was for me. It was the right thing to do at that time. Um, and as you alluded to, uh, you did not make that decision on your own. That mm -mm. decision was contemplated by what sounded like your sponsor and potentially a counselor at a treatment center. Yeah, yeah. And it was I think that's an important, important point to make. Yeah, it is. It is because I did not be honest i didn't want to move out because i didn't feel comfortable living on my own because i'd lived on my own before and i was a uh, raging alcoholic right and i was terrified and, the, and then that was the thing i went i moved all day on a saturday and then i went to that 10 30 meeting and i'm glad i did because yeah. i went to the meeting instead of going to the gas station or whatever um yeah those those late meetings on the weekend really helped me because now instead of trying to figure out what I'm going to do from the time I get off work to go to an earlier meeting and then go home and then sit on the couch and watch Netflix, which I've done for the last three years of my life previous to this by getting drunk and watching Netflix or watching movies or whatever right. on the couch by myself. Yeah. At least instead of doing that for eight hours, now I only have to do that for two hours. Yeah. Or whatever. So yeah, I actually had a conversation with another guy today that I just don't watch TV anymore today mm -hmm. because that is actually something that I would do. I would just sit and drink and watch TV. And yeah. today I still that just just something I I sat down mm -hmm. and I never picked it back up. You know, a lot of things that during my recovery I sat down and some of them I picked back up mm -hmm. and some of them I did not. And sitting and watching TV is something I never picked back up again. No, and, and so kind of going on that we uh, at the end of. Doing the 12 steps, I looked for getting a sponsee for about three weeks and really didn't feel comfortable with it um, just because I didn't know what anything about really doing the 12 steps in AA. And then I asked my sponsor if we could do the 12 steps again, the AA way. Um, his response is not exactly to my liking. And so I dropped him and got a, a new sponsor, Shane. Um, and it's been... A really in-depth go through the steps this time you know the first time I did my first step I had 12 resentments and then this time I had 70 something um, and you know the, the fears and the sex inventory was a lot more in-depth and I actually learned I thought you know some of my fears may have I just had these fears but actually these fears come from events that I had repressed that happened in middle school with my first girlfriend whatever you want to call it um and i'm comfortable talking about this now because it's something i've looked at and i understand um that everything now is because i was because i ended up we like held hands and we we kind of we you know we'd watch movies together and hold hands and do it's middle school you know but she wanted more than that she wanted to do you know i guess maybe like kiss or do stuff like that i don't really know she just wanted a little more in holding hands you know, again, I think at that age, you know, and I, I was a late bloomer in puberty too. So, you know, I'm, and she might have been farther ahead, and that's just not 
why it worked out or whatever. And I'm, I don't really, I'm not blaming anybody in this situation. It's just how it was. And I had no idea what to do. So um, I got dumped in kind of a shitty fashion. So I didn't want to feel like that again. So I never wanted to, I've always had that, like, I don't want to talk to women because I like what happens if I do get close and I do, I'm setting myself up to be hurt again. So rejection. rejection is a big part of what's played into my life. For, I know how not to get rejected. Yeah. Don't get involved. Don't get involved. You can't be rejected. You can't get your feelings hurt. Exactly. And that's not going to fly. You know, I'm 27 Not a healthy old, way to go through life. Not, lonely is not a healthy way to go through life. Lonely and angry and afraid is not a good way to go. And that's something... I didn't realize until I did the, the four-step inventory the right. first time. And it's amazing just knowing why I do things now is freeing and talking about them is even more freeing. Like, I don't think, you know, um, other things, you know, notice I have problems setting up boundaries. If you'd asked me, you know, hell, even a couple months into sobriety, I didn't think I had any problems with boundaries. But then I went to a meeting that atheists and agnostic meetings, which sometimes deals with topics that aren't that are a little more about like actually dealing with stuff in sobriety one of them is boundaries and it's at the beginning you're like oh, i don't have to talk about this and you know and then by the end of the meeting i'm like damn i have no sense of boundaries whether i'm setting them or respecting other people's i have none i have no earthly clue of what that's like because again i'm going back to like living with an emotionally right distant yeah. people is not that's not yeah. healthy boundaries so and all those are, uh, and I don't mean, those are common traits for us. Mm-hmm. The, the boundary setting is a weak point for most alcoholic addicts, yeah. you know, and uh, and the fears, of mm-hmm. whether it's rejection, which is huge for everybody, I mm-hmm. think. You know, uh, but until that stuff was, uh, one of the things I always say is that I never could see that stuff. It took somebody to actually take and, like, put a mirror in front of me and mm-hmm. show it to me. Yeah. You know, and then once they did that, and that's what the 12 steps was, a big mm-hmm. mirror that got turned around on me and allowed me to look at these things and see what made Dan tick. Yeah, and even like, I know, some we really harp on the fifth step, talking about it, you can really get some stuff. I think if you do the fourth step the proper way, you can really get a lot of shit out there too. If you just write it down and look at it and put pen to paper, and you're like, oh, I wasn't even thinking about that word, but here it is, yep, and holy does. shit. So. But you also... Uh, just to put another point on that is that uh, one of the most dangerous things in the world to do would be to do a four step and not do a fifth step because a fifth step is a way to get rid of it you know uh, if you don't do it you will it's it's picking the wounds Mm -hmm. with the four step yeah and i want a guy when you're when i go into it that look i need you to finish you have to promise me here we got to make a pact that we're going to go through to the Mm -hmm. end now because it's the worst thing in the world for us to do is travel down this path right now and you stop, stop somewhere along the way. Mm-hmm. It would be worse. It would be better if we just stopped today. Mm-hmm. I give that warning uh, yeah. every yeah, time before. Good. That's part of my third step decision talk. That part of the decision is we're going to the end. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't want to do that, no skin off my back, buddy. Mm-hmm. You don't want to do it. Yeah. So uh, the new teacher, uh, I think there's a point in that that uh, is, a, is a real valuable point because if we always get to a certain point in teachers in our lives take us so far and it's not again Mm -hmm. like you said a minute ago it's not a blame thing either you Mm -hmm. know and i'm not blaming mom for what she did and i'm not blaming that is not what we do in the 12 steps what we do is we look for these causes and conditions and the things and the patterns that set up in our lives Mm -hmm. that that make us do the things we do today and one of the another one of the things not blaming is that certain teachers can only carry you so far Mm -hmm. 
you know, and then that's the way, you know, that's the way life is really meant to be. Otherwise, you know, I mean, that's why your parents, you know, are only a part of your life for a certain amount of time. We need mm-hmm. new teachers. So that's an important uh, distinction is that you needed to, you got so much relief at a certain point that you needed a new teacher to take you to the next level. Yeah, yeah. And like you said, I'm not, I'm not blaming my first sponsor. Cause no, not all. He saved Lord, you. Yeah. Uh, cannot thank Same him thing. Enough. I have There's a similar no, story. No way I can ever repay him. I cannot. There's no way. My and first sponsor climbed down in the hole with me, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I will be forever indebted to him for what he did for me. He had he had an incredible patience because I you know I didn't I didn't want to do this shit. I didn't stay sober um, after my first sponsor. Yeah, and you know, luckily I I keep working, I keep growing, and I keep doing these things. But you know, just the so a couple of the other things I just I don't writing want writing stuff in. <laughs> so one of the things I do like to talk yeah. about before we because uh, I kind of see like we're getting towards the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you disagree, let me know. No, no, uh, I think. But one of the things I do like to do is I like to talk about, and, and most people do have some memorable moments like that they consider. Uh, I have what they call a miracle list. Mm-hmm. And my sponsor started having me make that once I started getting into recovery of these things because he said, I won't remember these things if you don't write them down. Mm-hmm. So I actually have a formal typed, and I keep it in my phone, and I keep it in a computer, and a backup of it, a miracle list. I feel like maybe I used to have one. Switch phones. Or so uh, I'm sure there's some things probably that happened to you in recovery that that you could say would not have happened had it not been for recovery. Um. Yeah, I mean, I got got my job back. Got a job. Three back. weeks into sobriety, I've never gotten a job back. Um. I think the the biggest the biggest one that pops up is my sponsor, my first sponsor does not go to that meeting on Thursday night. But he was there that night. Right. And he was looking for a sponsor and I was looking for a sponsor. Yep. The universe brought you together mm-hmm. just perfectly. You've also, I know that I've heard you share about some events you've went to and stayed sober, like uh, weddings and some other, uh, I mm-hmm. can't remember, but I seem to have some recollection of some things that you talked about uh, yeah, that, that you so probably wouldn't have been able to do if it wouldn't have been for recovery. About a month ago, I went to a wedding of a fraternity brother. Um, and this is deep in the heart of bourbon country, Kentucky. Everybody drinks. I mean, I, I was lucky enough to take a woman who's also in the program who knows what to look for and knows the warning signs or just enough to know that I'm not alone. That's the biggest thing. I carry, I've always carried either whatever month I was on or like now I'm carrying my ear token. It's in my pocket, and it's not there. I'm not going to show anybody. It's there so I can reach down in my pocket at the work day. I can feel it, and I know that I'm not alone working this program. And that's really why I took her with me, because I didn't have to do this alone. We never have to do anything alone. That's exactly That's a huge key point right there, Travis, yeah. is that we never have to do anything alone again. And to walk into something alone, we've, we've done that on our mm-hmm. own. We haven't done that because of... Uh, yeah. So I wanted to go see my buddy get married. He lives here in town. He knows that I'm in the program. He, you know, he's given me his full support. So it was somebody I needed to show that I'd be there for him on a special day. And you know, we walk in and and, the, and you go through the short ceremony. It's outdoor wedding and come back to the tent because there's kind of a rain or whatever. So it's a bunch of people in this big big old party tent basically. And the first thing my date says to me is she's like 
you said there'd be people drinking. You didn't tell me that everybody would be drinking. She's like, I've never been to a wedding where this many people would be drinking. She's like, this is why I had to bring somebody. Because, I mean, this was like, you'd see little old lady grandmas walking past and they're double fisting beers. <laughs> and it's that's the kind of environment it was in. So I'd never be able to go to that alone. There's no way. And, and you did. And did. And had a good time. Had a good time. Supported your buddy. Supported my buddy. Saw some people I hadn't seen in a while. Um, was able to talk to one of the guys that told me I had a problem. Yeah. He told me in college I had a problem with drinking. Yeah. And I guess I responded by trying to swing on him. So ah, yeah. real good. That's an amends I still have to make. I'm like, well, kind of made a little bit, but not a full amends. I was like, good. I'm glad you quit drinking. Kind of thinking you were going to die. Yeah, that is kind of crazy when we <laughs> run into people that are like, I'm glad you stopped drinking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, good. oh, gee. Thanks. Uh, we had a, you were talking about earlier or something, and it just brought it to light and brought a, brought some memory to mind to me of uh, when I was at a party one time, and, and there was kids there, too. Mm-hmm. People's friends' kids were there. Now, I wasn't old enough. I didn't have kids yet, but I remember some kid that was, I don't know if he was like 10 years old, mm-hmm. that started calling me an alcoholic. And I mean, that really, I still remember that today. You know, mm-hmm. it had a big enough effect on me. And I ended up blacked out, passed out, waked up in the middle of the, mor- in the morning in mm-hmm. the woods someplace. Is how I woke up, you know. So, yeah. so the kid knew something mm-hmm. <laughs> from the night before. Um, yeah, so people see it in us and they see those warning signs, people mm-hmm. that are awake. And I wonder about that today because about that little kid, about like how awake he is today. Mm-hmm. And if he were, well, you know, just had to wonder about like how did he saw that and called me okay. on it. And mm-hmm. we walked, you know, and turned out, you know, uh-huh. he was right. Uh, there's another one that, that goes on, and I, I kind of talk about this some, but. Uh, my dad started going to Al-Anon about, I guess, eight eight months ago now. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, well, let's just interject yeah. real quick. You said your sobriety date was October 2017. We are mm-hmm. now in October 2018. So what you heard now is Travis's basically, well, not basically, what you heard was Travis's first year of recovery. Right. Um, so eight months ago, your dad started going to Al-Anon. Yeah, he and my mom tried Al-Anon. Um, she doesn't think it's for her mm-hmm. you know I think we always think that the person who needs it most but we, again we can't force her and, and I think I get a lot of my the isms we talk about kind yeah. of the alcoholism that ism on the end I think a lot of that stems from her um, I can see whatever but my dad's been going out on well good he still goes that is a um, miracle and it is because I think he he's especially if he's going after eight months then something has touched well, him he's got a good men's group which we have meets on Tuesday nights. I know one, if not two, of the guys from our men's group also go to that men's group. So, uh, uh, just curious, is is your family coming this end of this yeah, month? Be here. The, my mom and dad will be there at the end of the month. Awesome. So. That's something we really try to promote is yeah. to get the family involved in our celebrations because uh, ultimately that's really where the juice is. Is that you know it's one thing yeah. that we did, but 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 people need to see the. We all like to see the effect it has on the parents, but uh, uh, people also need to see that that are around that maybe don't have as much time to that they watch yeah. a guy get his one year and watch the parents come in and see the the emotions that mm-hmm. they will display generally when 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 these awesome yeah. events happen. But he is currently on step three. Yeah. He took him a while. It took him about six months to really buy into it. But, yeah. Um, I can see a difference in him, and that's just something. Cause so without it took me four years to really buy into it. So without me coming to AA, 
he's not going to Al-Anon, and with him right. not going to Al-Anon, I don't, because, I, I mean, I've seen a lot, and he, he and I have had a lot of conversations about the That's fantastic. spirituality he's been Yeah, because a lot of Al-Anons, you'll hear uh, a lot of places, I've heard a lot of people talk about that they have trouble finding people to work the steps with them. They have trouble mm-hmm. finding sponsors that actually work the steps in Al-Anon. Yeah, they got, a, they got he said they got about 50 to 60 regulars. In yeah, that's really, so. really, really powerful, no doubt. Yeah. Um, another thing about people who like parents and that, you know, uh, they're behind a ball now, you know. They're not the ones that have the problems, so they don't mm-hmm. think they should have to go anywhere. They don't realize how that, yeah, that codependency and and how we've made them sick, and mm-hmm. you know our effect on them, and yeah. and vice versa. You know, I mean, sometimes it is. Uh, we all can grow through. You know, we all have room to grow. You mm-hmm. know, and it's really we're, we're wasting our our human existence at some level if we do not continue to grow i, I believe that with all my heart now yeah you couldn't have told me that a few years ago no but today uh i'm a promote, proponent that everybody mm-hmm. you know would, would would benefit from the 12 steps or some other growth you yeah. know because people do find it they find it in church they find it in other programs uh find something yeah. find some place to engage in a community uh, that 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 can bring some passion out in you. With people that understand you. Yeah, well, I was going to say like-minded, maybe, yeah. but maybe it doesn't even. But yeah, yeah, someplace where you fit in, find your tribe, mm-hmm. and engage and grow, so that uh, you don't end up laying on a deathbed someday wishing you'd have done something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have any closing thoughts, or you want to? No, I know there's more miracles out there. I've seen some things. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough to uh, jump and recall them. I can't recall mm-hmm. mine without my list. Yeah. And if I have my list, now, no, I can do a talk once in a while with my list that. handy. Yeah. So, yeah, that's very cool. And uh, I'm looking forward to the end of the month and for you to uh, celebrate with us. Yeah. And, and you've been a huge, great addition to our family because uh, we do have something special going on on Tuesday nights. And mm-hmm. uh, there's a group of guys who are uh, – who are growing by leaps and bounds and uh, really forming up a, uh, that tribe thing. We're really that community who we're really engaging in it. And, uh, yeah. and, and I'm, 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 I'm excited and optimistic about what the future is going to bring with this bunch of guys. And I can't wait to start seeing you sponsor some guys too. Yeah. Thank you, Travis. Uh, it's been a pleasure to have you here. I'm honored to have heard your story tonight. This is actually the first time that Travis has sat down and told somebody his whole story, and we get to capture it on tape uh, and, and, and hopefully share that with the world. Uh, everybody needs. To, everybody has a story, and, and somebody out there needs to hear your story. Mm-hmm. So that happened tonight. Cool. Thank you very much, man. Yeah, glad to have Yeah, glad, glad to be here. Spiritual Underground Podcast. Spiritual Underground Podcast. Spiritual Underground. Spiritual Underground. Spiritual Underground Podcast. Spiritual Underground Podcast Juice.
spiritual, spiritual underground, 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 under